my brief this morning is to talk to you about culture of honour, which we're doing on video in small groups. Uh, but before I get into that, I, I wanted to touch on a few other things, uh, just chat to you about some stuff before we got into that. Is that okay? So we are... How many of you have seen or look on YouTube or iBethel TV and have seen this sort of cloud thing that's happening? Yeah, I thought quite a few of you would have done. So our friends in this church in California, for those of you who don't know, we've visited a few times, uh, and they've seen uh, now 15 years of continuous healings, which has been amazing. And as we've kind of drawn on and been inspired by them, we've seen many healings here as well, which we celebrate and we enjoy, and there's going to be more. And, uh, and, uh, but they started to see a manifestation, a physical manifestation of the presence of God in a, in a form of a cloud, uh, sometimes sparkly, sometimes fuzzy, sometimes like mist. And it's happened five times now since mid-August, and it seems to be lasting longer and getting bigger, which is kind of cool but weird. Do you, you know, it just kind of takes your brain and, and puts it in the mincer and comes out somewhere else. I just wanted to make a, a couple of comments about the manifest presence of God. And we, we were singing this morning, actually we were, we were praying in our, in our worship that God's presence would be manifest. Um, and that, the, that, that, that heaven would come, that, that, that the presence of God would be here like it is. In heaven it would be on earth and I think the church has kind of got used to not much presence or just getting by with a bit of presence and actually what God wants to do is restore a a, a real high level of his manifest presence in the church and uh, I I believe these things happen in they've happened in church history they've happened in the Bible and the history of revivals is that things that break out somewhere are quickly transferable to other places. They stir the people of God's expectation and desire and people travel and people these days log on, uh, which you couldn't do uh, you know, centuries ago, and the expectation rises and things, things are communicable, they're, they're catchable, they're transferable. Uh, and I think that's tremendously exciting. And so in 1906, when the Azusa Street Revival broke out in Southern California, in L.A., uh, there was no internet, no, no, not much telephone even, uh, early, early, early days of radio probably, um, no planes, not intercontinental flights. Anyway, uh, you, you, you went there by boat, and people did, from all over the world. Their main means of communication was a newsletter which they mailed out that went by boat. And this flame that started, uh, this amazing manifestation of the presence of God, uh, which included a, a, a cloud of God's presence in their meeting. So this building that used to be a church got converted to a stable and then they took it over because they hadn't got much money to meet in because they were meeting this revival group were meeting in a house but the numbers grew so great that they they were meeting on the porch of the house and the porch collapsed so the police said you can't meet here anymore so they found this cheap place which had had the roof chopped off so it was a flat roof had become a stable and the guy used to go upstairs to pray before he preached and he came down to preach with a cardboard box on his head 
I'm telling you, this is, this is revival in 1906, all right? He came down, he had a cardboard box on his head, and there was a glory cloud filled that room that was so thick that you could part it with your fingers. And the children used to play hide and seek in it, and someone would try and bottle it and take it out. Now, this is eyewitness accounts written down, and there was at least one and maybe two times where they called the fire brigade out, because there was fire seen on the roof of the building. And eyewitness accounts said that the fire was both leaping upwards towards heaven and coming down from heaven. People were known to be approaching the building and be within 100 yards of the building, actually fall on their faces, struck down by the presence of God, maybe not even knowing why. God does these kind of things. And that eruption of, of God attracted people who got on their steamboats and came from all over the world and that was the beginning of what became known as the Pentecostal revival and from that incredible healings took place people were getting that glory cloud and you there's stories of literal tumors falling off people's faces people in wheelchairs having their legs straightened and them standing up now it's always great to hear about that when it's a hundred years ago and then suddenly somebody does it in somewhere we know and it's on camera and it's on YouTube and some people go, woo! It's, do you know what I mean? It's always easier to talk about it in history. But we're, we're enjoying more of the manifest presence and some of it is invisible but feelable and I believe there's going to be an increase in the visible as well. And uh, I think it's really important that we don't get freaked out by even the invisible presence of God, because it manifests. So some of us, we're experiencing stuff. We're falling over, we're crying out, we're twitching. We're, and it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to many, and I think we should welcome that. And I want to say a little bit more about that. We're not pressurizing anybody. It's not a show. And, and, and in fact, this week as I was praying into this, Often in my study, the presence of God comes on me so strongly that I shake in my office chair. Now, there's nobody there to impress. There's nobody there to tell. I'm not doing it for fun. But it just happens because his presence is so strong. This week it got so strong that I shook so strong in the chair that I fell out of the chair. <laughs> this is all on my own. I don't need to make it up. Do you know what I mean? I don't need to do any... And I'm kind of out... I'm thinking, wow, that was strong. Something's going on. Uh, <clears throat> R.B. Jones of Porth wrote in 1933 of the Welsh Revival, which happened in 1904, if one were asked to describe in a word the outstanding feature of those days, one would unhesitatingly reply that it was the universal, inescapable sense of the presence of God. Now, we have made the presence of God something maybe as a believer that you can experience. So that, that's like a leap for some of us. And for some of us, it's like we talk about getting whacked and intoxicated, and that's another leap for some of us. What happens in revival is it goes beyond you and beyond us, and it spills out so it's everywhere. And the key is that the people of God learn to host the presence of God for all the people that don't know the presence of God. If we reject it, how are those who don't know him going to receive it? 
Are you tracking with me? So we have all our foibles about this and God's breaking our foibles and our uncertainties and our fears because he wants to presence himself mightily in Glasgow and save thousands and heal thousands because that's his heart. And he wants to do it through having a people who are willing to entertain and host and love his presence however it comes and however he wants to send it. And that we don't go, oh, I don't like that falling over stuff. Well, that's fine. But just let it happen around you. And, and, and I want to, and you think, well, this, why do we need all this stuff? Well, it is in the Bible, funnily enough. You know, when they came to arrest Jesus, all the soldiers fell over. I think there's lots of things going on. It's the presence of God that Jesus carried. The other thing is saying, look, you think you can arrest me by force. There's no way that force is going to arrest me. I willingly give myself to be arrested. And if I choose, I could just wipe you out. I could smite you. I'm just going to knock you over for fun. And there's loads of references, I haven't counted them up, where people fall down in the presence of God and it's not always easy to find is it voluntary or involuntary? We always assume that they prostrate, prost, no, not prostrate themselves. <laughs> that's, that's an important male organ. No, that they, that they prostrate themselves, but it is not always clear. Sometimes, I mean, actually, actually in Ezekiel, God, it says actually the Holy Spirit lifts him off his face and stands him on his feet. That's how powerful the presence of God can affect your physical body in weird ways. And it's in the Bible. And uh, this is a... It's on my head. (laughs) I just want to read you... Uh It could get worse this morning. I couldn't get out of the prayer room this morning. Uh, Oh... uh, the presence of God was so thick in that prayer room you really miss it you miss something special if you don't make it in that prayer time Um, all evangelicals lift up the first great awakening that happened around Jonathan Edwards and then Wesley and Whitfield as the thing they'd love to see happen again allegedly It was a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries, faintings, convulsions, and such like. Now, you've got to think this is language from 1736, all right? So, faintings meant they fell out under the power. That's, that's the way of expressing it. Both with distress and also with admiration and joy. Well, we've had some of all of that. Hello? Haven't we? It was not the manner here to hold meetings into the night, all night, as in some places, nor was it common to continue them very late in the night. But it was pretty often so that there were some that were so affected and their bodies so overcome that they could not go home but were obliged to stay all night where they were. (laughs) 
There was no difference that I know of here with regard to these extraordinary effects in meetings in the night and in the daytime. The meetings in which these effects appeared in the evening began being commonly begun and their extraordinary effects in the day and continued in the evening. So it didn't matter if it was day or night, the extraordinary effects just happened. So we are experiencing extraordinary effects, to use Jonathan Edwards' language. Um, and they had a visiting preacher called Mr. Buell, and uh, <laughs> he said, There's being, There being still great appearances of attending his labours, many in their religious affections being raised far beyond what they had ever been before, and there were some instances of persons lying in a sort of trance, remaining perhaps for a whole 24 hours motionless and with their senses locked up, but in the meantime under strong imaginations, we call it having a vision, as though they went into heaven and had there a vision of glorious and delightful objects. <laughs> this is not new, this is Bible stuff. Uh, this is the way revivals appear. That's what's happening to us. We're being revived. And, and then he makes a really good comment later on. Um, talking about the effects and consequences of these things. I, I won't read it because it's complicated language. But basically says, some people who had the most outrageous external experiences didn't change very much. Some people who didn't have very outrageous external experiences changed a lot. However, some people who had ex outrageous external experiences changed profoundly, and some people who had no external experiences didn't change very much. Conclusion, and it goes in lots of languages, you couldn't tell how much someone's affected by how much they were externally affected, but external effects could powerfully affect someone internally or not. He, didn't, he couldn't tell. But he and Wesley alike didn't close this stuff down because they just could see that it was God. And neither are we. We want him to come out of any way he comes and do to us whatever he wants to do with his manifest presence. Is, is that okay? And in fact, when, when Lex was with us, he's, he's a bit of a church historian, Lex, and he said, I don't, I'm not sure if it's in that book, but of the Northampton Revival, which is where Jonathan Edwards was, the presence of God was so thick in the community. Now, remember, these guys were cessationists, i.e. they believed the, that the gifts had ended. But there was a period of something between three and five months where no one in the town went to the doctor. Nobody got ill because of the presence of God in the place. So what I'm, I'm saying to you is if we learn to host and love and entertain and thirst for the presence of God, however he wants to come, it can leak yeah. out of us into what's around us. Yeah? And that, that's what happened with the early apostles. Why is it that Peter walked along the street and his shadow healed people? There's no substance to a shadow. It's just simply your body gets in the way of the sun. And that's never going to happen in Glasgow, I know. <laughs> but it could be when you shake your umbrella, the droplets fall on someone and they get, get healed. It will be a manifestation suitable for the times. Glory clouds. 
It's just manifest presence. So the disciples have an experience of a glory cloud. Jesus takes three of them up a mountain in Matthew 17, and he gets transfigured before them and shines like light. He has a little chat with Moses and Elijah, who also show up on the top of the mountain for a cup of tea. And then the disciples say, let's build a booth. Peter says, let's build a booth. Now, lots of people say, oh, that's because he wanted to camp around and experience. I think he just, what happens, people get fidgety in the presence. People don't know how to wait. People don't know how to receive. They want to get busy. They want to do works rather than have an encounter. And what happens is to sort of prevent this, the glory cloud, it says a cloud of light descends upon them all, envelops them all, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, which was, I think, the whole point of the exercise. But Peter, James, and John have a glory cloud encounter. They have a physical presence. And it says in 2 Corinthians that the glory of the latter covenant will be greater than the glory of the first. Now, the first was administered by Moses, and he had a face that shone, and it faded. So the glory of the old had a physical manifestation of shining, and the glory of the old had limits, though. It, it, dis, it, it dissipated, so it faded. It was only appearing to one man and in one place in the tent of meeting. The, 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 new, the glory of the latter which is what we're in, the new covenant is going to have a manifest glory that is going to go from glory to glory, i.e. increase, and be manifest worldwide to many people in many places because this is a greater covenant and its glory will be greater and the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the glory covers the sea. So actually through the church, the glory is going to be hosted in all, now, glory means all kinds of things. It means weight of presence. It means shining. It means, it means moral attributes. But all of those things it means. So there's going to be manifest light in the Church of God. If you look at pictures of William Branner from the 1950s, who was a healing evangelist, you can actually see a literal shining dinner plate on his head. And a glow of light around him. I believe that... Some of us are going to walk in that kind of glory in our offices. Yeah? Some of us are going to have clouds around us as we walk in our places of work. That's going to freak them out. They're going to ask you what you believe. You're going to go in McDonald's and feathers are going to start falling on the person who's serving you. And they're like, what happened? Did someone kill a chicken? Well, that might be a first in McDonald's. <laughs> so let's expect more. More of his manifest presence. Here. Starts here. That's the journey we're on. We're into more of him. We want more of his presence. So we're not pressurizing anyone to manifest a certain way. That's not what we're about. But we're welcoming God's manifest presence however he chooses to do that. And if it's like it happened with Jonathan Edwards and people are laid out for 24 hours in a trance having visions of heaven, yee-haw. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen to you but your life is changed, yee-haw. Yeah. I think that might be... Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. And one of the reasons we're talking about... This is a nice segue into culture of honour 
is because God loves to dwell in a place that's like where he lives in heaven. And heaven isn't divided. It's not full of complaining. It isn't a place where people fall out and argue very much. It's a place of love. So the Trinity is fundamentally a Father, Son and Holy Spirit are three people in one who love one another. So the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. Yeah? Yes. Happy with that? So God wants to live on earth. Yes. He's always wanted to live on earth. That's what we see right in the Garden of Eden. He's walking in the garden. And he's always wanted a people, not just that looked like him, but that hosted him, that walked with him, that he could be with, present fully on earth like he is in heaven. He wants to be with you on the earth. Face to face, heart to heart, spirit to spirit, in intimacy and manifest presence. That's why Jesus died and rose again from the dead and make a way to the Father so that you and I could walk in him and he in us. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about religion and do's and don'ts. It was about intimate connection and relationship and that which he has established in the vertical, as it were, us to him, he wants to see reflected in the horizontal, us to one another. Because he, he lives that in himself. Father, Son and Holy Spirit have an environment of love. Yeah. Have an environment of, of honour, to use the phrase that we're chucking around. And uh, <clears throat> I want to go through some verses. So could we have my PowerPoint just going to whiz through a, a bunch of scriptures uh, and then I'll say a few things. <clears throat> it's the scriptures. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Note that. Greater love has no man than this that Someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Cool, eh? Do you want to flick the next slide up? Come read it with me. It's getting boring hearing my own voice all the time. This is Peter and John on love. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor or the king. Uh, 1 Peter, let's do the next one. Now now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And 1 John, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Okay, can we do the next slide? Paul on love. See, they all have something to say about this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up. Come on, everybody, you could do it better than that. I know I've got the mic, but, but can we do that one? Rather speaking, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, next slide, and, and, and then we'll just, with this bit more, more Paul. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I mean, they just say it all, really. But the culture of honor material that we're looking at is an application. I know some of you have struggled with it, but what I, what I don't want us to do is end up messing about and discussing the bones and missing the meat. Yeah. Uh, and, and really what, what we've, Nick and Jan particularly, and Teresa and I saw in, in this culture that is there in the Bethel Church is they've worked out what love looks like. And they've taken it further than I've seen it taken, and it's produced a durable environment in which God loves to be present. So he's looking not just for individuals that love him, but he's looking for a company of people that love one another as he loves us, and there he loves to show up. Yeah? Yeah. Do, Do you get it? So he's looking for a house. So in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about that the household of God is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. What's the purpose? That he may be present, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. The point of being joined together in a community called the church is that God could be fully, manifestly present. And one of the reasons God has not been fully, manifestly present in the church isn't just our lack of personal expectation, but our lack of of communal honour and love. And that's being rebuilt and re-established. Are you tracking with me? All right? So this this is a... See all those verses there? Lots about love, esteem, honour. This is a synthesis of those kind of... All those scriptural principles into a culture that has a name called culture of honour. You're right with that. So we want to produce a culture of love, of honour and grace. It has its roots in the grace of God. So God doesn't, because of what Jesus did and he was punished on the cross for us, we don't punish one another. We don't judge one another. We have grace with one another. It's a grace-rooted environment. So the grace of God, which we've learned a lot about in this church over the years, it has a horizontal outworking relationally as well as a vertical one relationally with, with our Father in heaven. All right, is that, is that mis- mis- making sense? Um, thanks, Teresa. So we're, we're seeking with God's help to create the atmosphere on earth that he's used to in heaven. And that atmosphere is a place of covenant love. So it's called covenant love because, and it's called a new covenant as opposed to the old covenant because a covenant was made. So in the old covenant it was, it was made with the, the blood of bulls and goats and it was, blood was sprinkled on all the people. We have a covenant with God that's been made in the blood of Jesus. So the cross was a covenant making moment where blood was spilled because God was making a covenant with us. He was expressing his love and he was binding himself to us in an agreement. 
which says, if you put your faith in my son and what he's done for you and his death and his resurrection, I will bind myself to you in love and I will never leave you or forsake you. I will forgive all your sins. I'll raise you up into heavenly places. I will give you a new nature and I will be your father and Jesus will be your friend and the Holy Spirit will fill your life. That's my side of the deal. All you've got to do is believe. That's his covenant. And he's bound himself to it in the blood of his son. Amen? It's unbreakable. He'll never change it. And what he's saying is, love one another as I have loved you. In this covenant which I have made, love one another with unbreakable bonds of love. And the church has been rubbish at it. We break for all kinds of reasons. We have a fragile view of love. We have, we have a... We, we have a touchy-feely, ouch, easy-to-break approach rather than what God expresses to us from heaven is, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, you know this in your own life. You can be lousy. Some of us have experienced just backing right off from God and being 100 miles from Him, being grumpy with Him for weeks, hours, months, seconds. Sorry, am I the only one? And then you come back to him and what does he do? He forgives you again. What does he do? and, and he doesn't kind of make you sit on the naughty seat for 10 hours. Like, well, you were away from me for 10 hours. You're going to have to do kind of penance. You know, I'm going to put you in the, uh, the ante room, the room for naughty Christians. For at least 10, well, no, 12. 12 hours because you're really going to pay this time. I mean, some people think that's how God is with us, but he isn't like that. No. It says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you yeah. and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yeah. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. And I wouldn't recommend you try that journey. <laughs> it will take you a long time. It's gone. Poof. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He, he's spent all the father's inheritance. He's smelly. He's been eating food of pigs. He decides to go back to his father. The father runs out to him, puts a new robe around him, a, like a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, embraces and kisses him and throws a party. That's what our heavenly father is like with us. His love never ends. His love never fails. You can fail. You can mess it up. And he always, always loves you. Always accepts you. Always receives you. Always re- affirms you. Always has you back on the same basis of which you left. You never like, well, I'm just going to kick you down a notch. You were naughty. It doesn't do that. He restores you. Repentance restores you back. Is that not true? Am I not preaching the gospel to you guys? Come on. But we don't, our history as, a ch- as church is not, is that we don't do that to one another. If someone kind of fouls up, we're like, oh, well, we'll let them back, but they've got to sit in a naughty stool. Well, you know, they did lead, but we're going to take 20 years just to check they've really repented before we let them lead again. I'm telling the truth. That's not, the, that's not a covenant of love. That's not, that's not how he treats us, but it's how we treat one another. We're afraid. Well, if we let them back and they haven't got themselves sorted out, they may do something worse. It's 
But 1 John tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Because there's no fear of punishment. Because there is no punishment in love. Why? Because all the punishment happened on Jesus. Is this, this making sense? So this is something where we bond together, we're committed together, no matter what. And, and we've been learning this as a, as a leadership team. This is a biblical standard rather than a human standard. This is a God standard rather than a man standard. So we live in a world that, that relationships are governed by man standard. So, you know, people are, where people are still getting married, often they're getting married on the back of pa- parents, people who have parented them who, d- who did not have a stable marriage. Lots and lots of people who are, even if they get to decide to get married, their parents probably aren't together anymore and they're not the original ones. All right? There's lots of divorce. In fact, it's got to the point where people don't bother to get married because it's just a piece of paper. So the willingness to make an external, public, binding commitment to one another has diminished. But what you end up with is relationships that either break or are not, they're not, explicitly durable they're all well we'll see how it goes because I was in one before and it didn't work so why do I want to make that mistake again so to protect ourselves from the potential of hurt of a binding close relationship we don't form them what that means is that if you have that in your background and you get married you have no momentum you have no example you have you have nothing before you that says it's even possible to have a man and a woman who think and behave and are structured internally completely different to have an enduring, loving, exciting relationship that can last for decades and decades till death do us part. You have no, you may have a dream of it, of wanting it, but you have no evidence that it's doable. And that's, we've done that in the church for years not just about marriage but leaders and we fall out why are there so many churches because people fall out they fall out and so we have to re-establish a level of commitment and joining and heart that gives our next generation some momentum it can be done and and as a leadership team we're talking about this and we're saying to one another we're committed we're committed it's not going to break We've experienced it breaking, and, and this isn't going to break. Well, how do you know? Well, because we value what we have more than any fallout we might have. Yeah. That's a covenant relationship. Well, you hurt me. It happens. Yeah. You hurt me a lot, so I'm going to withdraw. This is my favorite way of dealing with hurt. I'm going to disappear because very small. I'm going to punish you by saying nothing. <laughs> My wife is laughing because she's been on the end of this the most. <laughs> so I still have a relationship with you, but not a big one. That's not allowed in what I'm talking about. 
You've got to keep your love on and you've got to keep connected. You've got to keep coming back. So, oh, that hurts. I'll be drawing pain, but I'm coming back to get it sorted out. Because if you withdraw in pain and you stay withdrawn in pain, then there's this guy called the devil. And he kind of flies in and goes, ha, 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 I see all this pain, I love pain. And he fans the flames of pain in your heart. And he makes you remember all the other ugly, horrible things that the person did and said to you. And you think, oh yes, they are actually truly horrible. I have the proof from the devil. I never want to speak to them again. I'll never open my heart to them again because they're dangerous. Well, did you tell them that they were dangerous? Well, they wouldn't believe me if I told them. Well, if you didn't try, you don't know. You have to have commitment that the relationship is there above all and we're going to fight for it, even in the fights. I've been married 32 years and I love it but there are fights there are fights because I'm feisty and I think she's feistier (laughs) but but we're committed to each other we're going to work it out because we love each other this love looks like something it looks like a relationship that is going to get through, it creates an environment that you can get through the tensions and the conflicts and that's what we're seeking to build here and we're seeking to build as a leadership team. Am I making sense? That's covenant love. That's loving one another as he loves us. Remember? So we do all sorts of, you know, he pours his love out for us. He dies for us. He does, goes through that ugly pain and punishment for us and then we stick two fingers up at him and walk away often. And what does he do? He loves us. That's what we need to find between one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Is, is this? God loves that. It's covenant love. It's commitment. Have you got a relationship that you would die to protect? that you would suffer for. Let's, let's kind of take it back from actual death. <laughs> that you would be highly inconvenienced for. <laughs> Have you got a relationship <laughs> that could endure a few moments of frostiness even? <laughs> Come on, where, where, where are you on the committed relationship front? Oh, oh. I don't need to know, but he really does, because this is important. He said a new commandment. He didn't give us many. In fact, he did away with the law and just said, love one another. That was the basic deal. You don't need to remember lots of commandments in the New Testament. Just one. And we don't do it. It's like, well, I forgot the love one another one. What was the other one? No, there isn't another one. That is the one. Who would, you, who would you take a bullet for? Who would you promote beyond you? Who would you give your best stuff to and be happy? There's not time, but if you read David and Jonathan, when they, when they got together, that theirs is a, is a covenant between brothers. Yeah. Jonathan gave David his sword, his robe, and he even said, 
I see the anointing on you, although it's my right to be king, I'm the, the one who should inherit the kingship, I see you're the anointed one, and I want you to be king, and I'll stand with you. Whoa. That's covenant. It's not competition. Have you got anybody around you that you feel that way about? Other than maybe your spouse. And if it's not there with your spouse, fan the flames of love, men and women. Is this making sense? You're supposed to have friends that you'd lay your life down for. That's church. It's really touching when someone comes to you and says, you know what, I think you are a covenant brother to me. When it happens, you stood with me and others didn't. You were there when others disappeared. Other people said they'd be there, but then I took a decision they didn't agree with and they they weren't there. But you were. It's great when someone says that to you. It's great when someone values their relationship with you enough, even though you've had a bad time and a disagreement or a, a pulling apart, that they'll actually come and say, look, how can we figure this out? That's so good. That's covenant. Do you have relationships that you value that highly, that you'd put down your agenda and all your list of complaints against the person, and you actually go and say, look, I just want to, I love you, I want a relationship with you, I don't understand why you did all this stuff and it hurt, but I want to get through it. We've seen examples of that happen in this church and we want more. Am am I making sense? That's what this is about. This is culture of honour. Heart connections. There's a phrase in one of the videos, it says about, I think it's Danny Silk's definition of honour. It's about two powerful people getting what they need from one another and for the environment. And it's like, this sounds like psychological speak to me. They're just American. Oh, so I've gone all brummy, haven't I? It's got a view. <laughs> you need a PhD in psychology to understand that. No, you don't. You just need to know your Bible. We read the verse. Could you go back to the one with Ephesians? It's Paul 4.16. We're having, me and Phil were having a chat about it. He says, I don't get it, I don't get it. He says, surely God's supposed to meet all my needs. Well, yeah, but guess how he chose to do some of it? Yeah. Through you. Yeah. Just look at someone near you. It's a scary thought, but God is sending what you need to you through them. <laughs> Come on, look happy about it. And when you break that relationship, when you're distant, when you're aloof, when you're hidden, you are missing out on a huge supply from heaven through people. Yeah, but God can send me all I need. Yeah, but he said he's going to do it through them and he isn't going to just, especially for you, send an angel so you don't have to be part of this covenant community. Well, you know, I got hurt last time. Well, yet so did I. Lots. But this is what we're fighting for. Because the enemy's won too many times. And we need to get out of our holes 
and out of our disappointment and start to find some love from heaven to give to one another. You can get over your disappointment and hurt. Honestly, you can get healed. And that's one of the big reasons that we've taken Jan on staff to do Sozo because some of us have got some really deep things inside of us that need pulling out so that we can relate to heaven better and we can relate to one another better. That's what it's about, really. Is that okay? Yeah. So who have you got heart connection with? Because this verse in 4.16 says we build ourselves up in love. One of the translations says that each joint supplies. So you're connected to people in the body of Christ and that, that joint supplies something from God to you. He's not going to do it direct. He's going to do it through a person through their gifting, through their wisdom, through who they are, you need them in your life. So when we talk about a culture of honor, we need everybody to be powerful. We need everybody to know who they are in Christ, what they're carrying, what they're called to do, pulling fully on the resources of heaven for their life, and then that they connect to you. Yeah? So you get from them what you need from them while they're still being powerful. That's what Danny's saying. And the trouble with church is we've modelled hierarchy which has squeezed you and me into some kind of mould in order to fit the structure that doesn't honour the gift and anointing we have and we work by pecking order rather than life joints and links. So we're trying to to introduce a concept that is non-hierarchical but it's about honouring anointing. The primary deciding factor of the New Testament is who has God gifted and what has he gifted them in. And our goal is that we recognize, honor, and receive from that. So there are people in this room that are way, way more genius than me at loads of things. That means I need to get from them because I don't have it. In that sense, hierarchically, if you think hierarchically, they're above me. But that's not how we think. Is, is, is this kind of yeah. tracking? Are you? I'm sorry I keep looking at you like that, but I, I know this loving is just such a radical idea. So who? Who do you have a heart connection with? Who are you being transparent with? Who do you feel safe with? Who are you taking time to talk to and share your dreams and your fears? Who? Is there somebody in this church, in your life, that is a Christian that you have a heart deep connection to and that you want to get to the point with that you will be committed to them and take a bullet for them. And there should be more than one as we progress this idea. It's vital for the strength of the church if we can do this if we can do this what can we what could be built on this you know I'm, I'm kind of entering my mid 50s I know it's tough to believe I must be fairly old to be married 32 years I know Teresa doesn't look like it She's extremely well preserved. 
costs lots of money. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it's my excellent cooking. It's what it is. Um, I'm totally losing the plot now. <laughs> what did I say? I'm, I know that's why I forgot what I was saying. I want to forget about. Yeah. Foundations, mid 50s. Okay, it's, it's coming back together. Thanks. This is kind of a corporate talk, really, isn't it? Just, anybody else like to throw something in that I forgot to? <laughs> Jesus, we talked about him already, didn't we? Um, you start to think slightly differently. You start to think about what, what's, what you're building that others can carry forward. Now, I'm not planning on clocking out anytime soon, but when my time comes in 30 years or whatever it might be, wouldn't it be great that I've been part of modeling durable covenant relationships that can add moment, that other people can look and say, wow, you mean your church loved one another? Yeah. For 20 years? Oh, yeah. I mean, that means you can never have had an argument. Oh, no, we had lots of arguments. I mean, that's like marriage, isn't it? People who never have an argument don't have a relationship. It's not a real one. Seriously. All the married people are going, yeah, he's dead right there. <laughs> All the unmarried ones have this dreamy idea that <laughs> romance is just this cloud that you kind of float through. You meet this gorgeous woman or you meet this hunky guy and, and you fall in love and you never argue. And if, if you argue, you really aren't in love. Oh no, if, you, if you're in love, you argue more. We're so different. But that's good. Some of you are so incredibly po-faced this morning. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, you are. Come on, say something else. Oh, I need to stop soon. This, this, this isn't... People who are showing up in Hope Church and loving it and they're tasting something. And they're tasting freedom. But freedom isn't anarchy. And it's not selfishness. Freedom exists inside love. You could have had mine. But it would have had my, I'd have shared more than just my water. You'd have had my germs and whatever else. Maybe covenant should go that, shouldn't go that far. So love gives cohesion in freedom. Honor gives cohesion in freedom. I think I've done enough. We need each other. And what we haven't done as a church is say, and and this is the way some people do it, and if you want to be part of us, the leadership has a vision, not interested in your vision, lay that down and give your money, energy, time to what we want. That's how it works. And it works. Churches grow big on that system. 
Seriously, they do, and that's what people say. I just want to grow a big church that doesn't do it that way. I think you can do it that way, and there are reasons why that works, because everybody knows what page you're on, everybody knows where we're going. What we're saying is, come in, find out what our heartbeat is. Find out what our vision is as a leadership. Connect to it, and then we want to find out what yours is and connect to that. Because I think to deny your your dream is to actually shrink you. But to deny the body's dream is to actually dishonor the body. So it is, we've often painted it as either or in the church. And, and I think that is ultimate, ultimately that fails. It, there's a weakness in that. What we're saying is, if you like the environment of this church, you need to find out why it's like this, otherwise you could spoil it. If you don't understand what some of the things we're talking about, you could come in and love the freedom, but not understand the responsibility of enjoying the freedom. So we're asking, would you come and find out what our heart is before you read us into a box you already have? Because we all have them. We've all had, many of us in this room have had other church experiences. And you, I've experienced this. You can't get past that. You talk, I've talked to people, some people who are not in this church anymore. And it, I just felt I was always in this box of church leader, a scary church leader they once had. And I'm like, I mean, I could have my scary moments, but that's not me. You're not getting me. You've already imprisoned me in a previous manifestation of leadership you once knew. It doesn't matter what I do or say, I can't escape it. So I'm, I'm making an appeal. Find out what's really in our heart. We're not perfect, but we're going somewhere. We have a call from God to do something amazing, and you need to be, and we need you to be part of it. So we actually need you. We can't do this without you, without your heart, your resources, your prayer, your passion. But we also want to, but part of our thing is to know what your dream is. Because you need us. Yes. Is this making sense? So you actually, to, you actually need to connect on a two-way street in order for your dream to come true. Yes. And we want it to come true. Yes. There's going to be hundreds of ministries blossoming out of this church. There are people in this room, there's people in this church who are catalysts for all kinds of creative things. Yes. Some of you are already in it. And that's going to increase because... God's calling us to change a city, not just by converting lots of people, but by shifting our whole culture and environment. That should keep us busy for a couple of weeks. (laughs) So we need this integration of heart where we can trust the bridge, the connection, the heart that's built. That When you go and do your thing, you're not going to do your thing in a way that's detrimental to the whole thing. And that you trust that being involved in the whole thing isn't going to make you disappear into some sausage machine that means your dream never gets expressed and your voice never gets heard. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it so that it works on both ways. I believe that's a culture of honor.
that's a culture where all these verses that we've looked at actually start to become realities on the earth and they're not just something that one day in heaven 